0: It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio
1: on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey,
2: here we go. It's all locked up. That's good. fall off. Uh, John Von Tobel is here. It's Cofield. Come on, we're all ready for the show. Trust me. We got a lot of good stuff to get to today because uh, yesterday in the middle of the show, we found out about the Colorado news. What is the Colorado news? They're potentially moving to the Big 12, but we're going to get some more updates today on uh, what they've been talking about at Colorado and then at other places. So we could have conference realignment Armageddon happening again. And that means we can sort of discuss UNLV and what could happen moving forward. I don't think it was a reality until... Something actually happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it looks like we're 95% there on Colorado moving out of the Pac 12. And what's that going to do to the Pac 12? So we got the trade de- uh, deadline coming up in Major League Baseball. Definitely something we want to get into. Uh, I saw one of your VSIN listeners was requesting a lot more Angels talk, wants to hear a lot more Angels talk. There was, I don't think you saw it. There was a. Uh, some nameless jabroni up on uh, Vicen's Twitter complaining that you guys talk about the Angels oh, too much. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do not punch mean, down on that one. No, no, Please, you're
1: right. We shouldn't talk about the best player in baseball. Maybe getting you know dealt to the deadline. Right, the power rating shifting move that would.
2: Well, I assume I it's, it's a. I assume it's a Northeast person. So the only thing that matters. Well, it's such a regional sport now that uh, baseball fans get mad. If you don't, especially uh, New York, Boston, and Philly, if you talk about any other markets and their teams and the best player in baseball oh. in this case, uh, they're like, oh, it's not part of the Yankees, the Mets, the Phillies, or Boston. Why are we talking about them?
1: I don't think it's that either. I think it's just sometimes there are people who are so smooth-brained. It's like, it's only only to talk about the NFL. Like, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's other sports. We bet on these things. These other things matter. Like, like, we don't just need to talk about like National Football League. We can go over all the props a thousand times.
2: I get it. Aaron Rodgers on the Jets. No uh, no knock against your programming, but you do have a lot of guys who will, I'll say, are strong on the NFL and college football. Real strong. And seem a bit reluctant to talk baseball. I mean, we all make decisions each day when we come in for a show. I mean, I mock on baseball all the time, but I'm not going to not speak about Shohei Otani. That's absurd. And. If people open things up a little bit from a, you know, a market standpoint, um, the best player in baseball potentially going to a he was never going bigger place and then staying there is kind of massive news, and it's also gargantuan baseball news from a betting standpoint, like you just said. Of course it is. By the way, no big deal. Just a one-hit shutout today
1: on 111 pitches, then came back and hit two home runs in the game that they're up in right now. So what does he have now,
2: 37? Dude, he's incredible. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he's, yeah he's the He's he is the best
2: player in the history of baseball because no other player, Babe Ruth did it for a few years, but no other player has ever pitched and hit as effectively as this guy. Of course he he's is. He's amazing.
1: He's awesome. And, by the way, it's the other part about him. If you wanted to, he could play a position as well.
2: He's uber athletic. You
1: can put him anywhere on the field. Like He's incredible.
2: And if he were on the Red Sox, the Yankees, maybe the Phillies, even the Dodgers he would be covered every single day. But instead, we have stupid takes like Stephen A. Smith. And in this case, he might be just doing a bit. But he's saying that the guy can't carry baseball. He can't be the face of baseball. But they say the same thing about Trout, which then proves to me that it's a market thing. It's a Pacific time zone thing versus, you know, whatever. Him being Japanese or not speaking English as his first language.
1: Oh, it's 100% a market thing. I mean, when you have the Mets who, at the point that I saw this, were eight games out of a wild card spot, and you had people on MLB Network putting trade packages together for the Mets to acquire Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. And by the way, none of the packages included like any of their like top fifteen prospects. No. Like it's like like you're just trying to get him on the Mets. Like who cares? Nobody. Like, yeah, at least have the team be good. But I think that's the overall point. It's it's the market. It's where they're looking.
2: So this is a special case though, where Otani should be getting the love, even though he's in the Pacific Time Zone. Because it's football, we have another special case, and this guy and this program is, or they're both getting love, the coach and the program, and that's Dion in Colorado. Reality says, at least my reality says, I think Dion's going to get blistered and destroyed for the next two years, and then maybe he's got a shot. I don't think he's going to succeed at Colorado, but he's such a big name. That Colorado has kind of gotten, before it even steps on the field with this football team, has gotten exactly what it was hoping for on the front end with Dion and the hire, mm-hmm. and that is national attention. No one cared about Colorado football going back, you know, to Mike Pritchard's stage, right? But we have to go back to basically he was early nineties, maybe in the mid-90s, was when Colorado started to fade a little bit, and they've been really irrelevant. And the worst program, the worst power five program on the West Coast, it's not even debatable. They've been Awful. It has been awful. The school has been awful. I hate, By the way, I hate always talking about football programs and sports. It's a school. Mm -hmm. The whole school will be potentially changing its affiliation. This one's really interesting. Because there are some that think Colorado is being immature, foolish, jumping the gun here by trying to get to the Big 12. There's others that think, why does the Big 12 want Colorado? That's my question. And should people with the Pac-12... I guess because it, it could lead to a domino effect that's that significant. But just losing Colorado alone, should anyone in the Pac-12 care based on what Colorado has been? No. I saw a lot of like, there goes the Pac-12. It's going to fold. I'm like, why? Like, yeah,
1: they lost UCLA and USC. We knew that already. Colorado is not something that's going to make that thing collapse. Still have Oregon and Washington and Utah. They're going to be perfectly fine. If there was a program that was going to leave, I, I put it this way. If PAC, if the Pac-12 could pick
2: a program to leave, I don't know if Colorado would be it, but it would be on the list. I think you'd have people in the Pac-12 say, you know what, we thought you were kind of a weak match to begin with, and you've shown that you are weak because you don't invest in sports. You finally did, but for us it's too late, and now you've affected, even though um, George Klyavkov said, hey, Dion's going to add to the conference. Well, he's not going to add crap to the conference in terms of TV value, but... Colorado's been bad. And they haven't invested in football. And when they have invested, it's been a poor investment. And, you know, reality is, just like when Utah went to the Pac-12, just like when TCU went to the Big 12, there are a group of five schools that are actually better matches for your football wishes and budgets that are not in the Power Five. I think Houston's a great example. Houston's Mm -hmm. In the Big 12, their funding will go through the freaking roof. They're in Texas. They've got a Fertitta behind them. They're going to spend a boatload of money, and they will be a top four or five spending school when it comes to athletics. If they're not close now, they're going to be in that top five. I don't think Colorado was ever going to get there. This is a nice expenditure with Dion. So I got to tell you, I'm going to turn a negative into a positive. San Diego State has embarrassed itself. Way jumping the gun, Right cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. Embarrassing. Admin, not handling things the right way, put themselves in a terrible position, came crawling back to the Mountain West. Of course, the Mountain West didn't take advantage of it and pound them, but it's a topic for another day. But what San Diego State has shown is that they actually want athletics to lead them by the nose and rule the school. And well, it's not exactly a Pac-12 match because you've got you know an academic-minded conference for the most part. It is a good sign that they care a lot about sports, and their funding could get better. And imagine if they're getting Power 5 money, what San Diego State can be. I don't like saying this, but in a lot of ways, Colorado out, San Diego State in, I think is a plus. Oh. I, so
1: I did, I did Lombardi line on my visa duties today with Storm Bonatoni, who used to work sidelines for
2: VGK, went to San Diego State, and I was like, if anybody can should I, be happy, it should be you. Can I jump in, too? Yeah. I don't know that, well, I know this. I don't believe San Diego State cares about academ- academics like Colorado does. Sorry for SDSU people. Mm-hmm. It's not the same level. Now, because of that, it allows you to have a president who is very sports-minded, mm-hmm. which can be a positive. So these are weird times. And we're going to talk to one of the guys who covers Colorado who's been there for 20 years now from the fan in Denver, uh, Chad Andrus. And he's got a really interesting take. I'm not sure that everyone, I think, I think there are a lot of people who are going to look at it and go, hey, Pac-12, you know, they've been reading this stuff. Pac-12's going to break up. Let's get the hell out. Got to go to the Big 12. I think it's also important for people to look at what the Big 12 is right now and what it could be five years from now. Sure. I mean, they, yeah, I'll give them this. They got a good TV deal. Uh, I think the proposal would be even split of the monies right now, so Colorado would walk in with a full share and get about $32 million a year from the conference for TV. And I'm pretty sure, reading all these experts yesterday, John, that they actually put a clause in the contract that, uh, with ESPN, where all this money is coming from for TV, that if they added a Power Five, another Power 5 school, that they could renegotiate the deal. Well, so right now they're looking at, you know, if you're Kansas or Texas Tech or uh, Oki State, right? I think those are probably the leaders in terms of being the most sports-minded and the best funded. Mm-hmm. They could be looking at, that, at this and going, wait, we're going to split more money with Colorado? Who's Colorado? But then they also have the ability to go back to ESPN and go, more money.
1: That's, there was part of the report yesterday, too, was that there was a surprising Pac-12 candidate to potentially make the leap as well. Who do you think that was? I don't think it's anybody worth, like, I, my thoughts were like, I don't know, Washington State, Oregon State. You know what I mean? One of those oh, really? programs? Well, my
2: first thought was Utah. because okay. I, But I, I've also, you know, I've read, and again, these are it's like five guys who do all this stuff, um, and a lot of them are being directly fed. I think they have good sources. Like, Dennis Dodd's being directly fed by Big 12 people. Sure. So that's why it's always got a kind of a Big 12 tinge. Um, yeah, I was thinking Utah would be aggressive on this. See, I figured- but then you've also had presidents come out and say, oh, we're committed, you know? Colorado's been kind of waffling the whole time. This Stefano guy, the... The chancellor's been talking way too much. He's one of the only guys who's been talking a whole lot. So the handwriting was on the wall that there might be a lot of pressure coming from the Dion people. I don't mean Camp Dion. I mean the people at the school who are like, "Yeah, go get Dion." Let's be real in football. That those people are also the ones driving the bus where they're like, "We got to get the hell out of the Pac-12." Like now, we got to be the first ones to get out. Let's control our own destiny.
1: I mean, I figured Utah would be one of the pillars of the Pac, the new Pac-12
2: as they move forward, right? Like as I as I look they, at they, it, they should be. They've been they've been a un- I mean. T- what would you argue? Second most consistent? Third most consistent football program? Maybe Are they more consistent than Oregon? Probably. In recent years, I would right. say yes. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say, right. Well, I mean, moving forward, UCLA and USC are gone. So Utah's definitely top three football. That's what in I, football. Would I would say. In whatever order, I would think, and that's why I don't think Utah would leave,
1: your top three programs are Oregon, Washington, and Utah. And if you're Utah, why would you want to jump ship and try to make your way back up to the top of being like a pillar of a conference like the Big 12? when you could, you know, have a very strong rule and decisions and whatnot in a conference like the new look Pac-12, whoever
2: comes over. A lot of questions. A lot of questions to have answered here because the Pac-12, of course, is being quiet. Klyavkov has not communicated a whole lot. I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. I wonder who's controlling things. You know, is Oregon stepping up as the power broker? Is it Cal and Stanford because of the academics? Uh, They're the four corners. We'll throw out Arizona and Arizona State. Do those schools have a lot of power now? Because they could be very likely to go to the Big Ten. It must be behind the scenes in the Pac-12. It must be Armageddon.
1: By the way, we, like, what was it, 60 We're not even at six days where uh, Kliukov had a comment of like, yeah, we're not worried yeah. about teams leaving. Yep. Maybe he knew it was Colorado. I don't really care, man. Like, wouldn't we, that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if they knew prior? And he was really like, no, we're not
2: worried. It's Colorado. They can leave if they want. All right, rolling on here on a Thursday. Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. We continue to get you ready for the UNLV football season. Guys are going to be in in uh, a short time. Coaches right now are manning the facility, waiting for the official open to camp. And one of those coaches is the cornerback's coach, Akeem Davis, is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? We're good. We're good. So I was mentioning the the players are right around the corner here. Um, This month, I know... Well, were some coaches assigned basically a week to kind of oversee the FFC? Like, what goes into the month of July? You get some time off, but you don't get all the time off.
3: That's right. You just, you know, you oversee making sure guys are doing the small things, checking in to breakfast, working out, checking in to lunch, going to academics, um and then you're getting the plan together for your guys um making sure that each and every day in august when camp start is accounted for you're getting together a good ending plan you're making sure that your guys are going to be ready getting a good plan you got to make sure your guys are ready to, so when we when it's time to tee off man we take ready to rock and roll
2: so you were actually super busy along with your unlv duties you were part of the nfl uh, diversity coaching fellowship so Tell us about that. Where was it? And uh, what's the goal of the fellowship?
3: Oh, it was awesome. And so I got an opportunity um, to go out to Green Bay and do the, um, the Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship and um, pretty much go fly on the wall and all the meetings. Um, they give you a few projects that they expect you to, to have. To work with the guys one-on-one, the players one-on-one as well. <laughs> Um, and, you know, you get a chance to give your input when asked, you know, and so, um, it was, it was a great opportunity. <laughs> it was a great opportunity. Um, got a chance to, you know, just kind of see how things are ran from that level. Um, just the organization and the fluidity of meetings and practice and meetings after practice and, How the pros come in and do it from a coach's standpoint and and not from a player's standpoint. Um, You know, the goal for me was to make sure I came and uh, went there and took some tools, you know, that my guys and our coaching staff can utilize here at UNLV. um, And so that, you know, if you want to be at that level, you want to coach at that level you want to play at that level you got to do things like they do and at that level and so um took a handful of things back and, and brought it back here to, to vegas and um some of those things where you last throughout the season but um overall experience it was great man it was awesome and i um, really glad i did
2: it keem davis is with us the uh, cornerbacks coach for unlv new to the program we'll get to uh that decision to join the program but sticking with the nfl I mean, you're not far removed from the league. I mean, you're a guy who spent a lot of time in the league over the course of uh, three seasons with the uh, former Redskins, the Saints, the Bucks, the Seahawks, the Colts, the Chiefs, the Jaguars. So what was it like for you to get back out, you know, around the NFL atmosphere that it feel like, you know, there was really no time passed?
3: Oh, man. Obviously, when you're playing at that level, and you don't do it for you know, a year, two or three years, absolutely. It feels like it's been light years yeah. that's been passed, but like you say, when you dial it back and you say, and, and you say, dang, though, you know, it's it's been six, seven years since I played, then you think, man, where has that time gone? And so, I'm on a little bit of, I'm on the side of both coins there, you know, where this, it, was, it went extremely fast for me as far as, you know, me not actually playing, but it seemed like it was yesterday when I was out there playing, if that makes sense. And so, um, you know, you know, that dynamic has been, has been, you know, kind of weird because the players, they come in and they show you film of, of you doing this kind of technique that you're trying to teach them. And that's, that's kind of, you know, makes everything come full circle. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's been an awesome experience just to be able to have that, you know, that, that credibility and, you know, have the players, you know, you know, look up to that, that part of, of, of my coaching ability as well. They, Like I alluded earlier, they know that if you've done it at that level and you're trying to tell them what to do, then it just goes that much further in allowing them to go out and perform at an optimal level and, and try to implement what you're trying to teach them to do.
2: That's Akeem Davis, UNLV coach of the cornerbacks, is on the horn with us. Can you take listeners back uh, to your relationship with Barry Odom, uh, what, you know, why he reached out to you, and then why you took the job?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, like when you're, when you're a former, like I played for Coach Odom. He was my DC at the University of Memphis. And, um, Coach Odom actually gave me my first job. You know, whenever I was done playing ball with the Seattle Seahawks and I went and did a three day mini camp, got cut, came back to Memphis. You know, I wanted to be a ball coach and I went in the office. He was sitting down and I said, Hey, Coach, I want to coach ball. And he said, well, look, I'm going to put you to work. And he gave my first job as a graduate assistant and, um, it you know kind of left him after two weeks when the Calgary Stabon-Peters came calling and you know I had that conversation with him and he said look man if you still want to play go play like you can always come back and be a football coach but go play and I've leaned on Coach Odom heavily throughout my years as a um, as a as a young coach when I needed advice you know when making the next career move or. You know, when game planning and then obviously when the transfer portal hit, just making sure that if he had a player from his uh, school that was getting in the portal, I would always reach out to him and call him and say, hey, coach, you know, what about that guy? Um, but I, I hadn't seen him. My first time actually seeing him, putting my eyes on him for the first time was when I got the plane and came to the business on and that was almost 11 years after I had, you know, played for him. And so it's amazing how you can kind of keep in contact and feel like you hadn't missed a beat. Um, but like you say, like we alluded earlier about the NFL, man, when you look back and you see how much time then got away from you, you realize that it's been a while. And so we all got football daddies in this profession, and this is a profession, you know, that's exactly what it is. But I look up to Coach Odom more than, more than uh, a head coach. You know, he's been like a, a football daddy to me. And, um, you know, loyalty, family, his wife, Miss Tia, his son, J- his sons, JT Garrett, his, uh, daughter, you know, analog with, like, all, like, they, they, blood, I blood won't make us any closer. And, um, you know, I know what it's like to be in the foxhole with a guy like him, man. And I come to work excited every day because the vision and that he has for this program, I know it works because I played for him and I now I'm getting the opportunity to work for him. And those principles hadn't changed. You know, he's, you know, been successful everywhere. He's been, and I'm looking forward to him, you know, continuing the success here at UNLV, and I'm just excited to be a, be a part of it.
1: All right, so let's talk about your position group then. Uh, as we look at corners, right, people just think, oh, it's the guys that cover the wide receivers. Well, what is the intricate role of the cornerbacks in this defense that UNLV fans are going to be seeing?
3: Oh, we got to make plays on the football. You know, we are called to take the football back and get the ball back to our offense by any means necessary. You know, whether that be on defense, whether that be in the kicking game. A lot of th- a lot of times, people think cornerbacks only cover wide receivers. Well, cornerbacks cover kickoffs. Co- cornerbacks cover punts. Cornerbacks play on kickoff return. You know, cornerbacks play on all four phases of special teams as well, and we play an intricate role in that area. And um, we are called to take the ball back. We are called to eliminate that explosive play that fade, that post-ball, that, that, that explosive, you know, pass play that a lot of offenses thrive off of, we are there to nip that in the bud, man, and we're going to be hard, smart, tough, physical football players on the perimeter, and, you know, we're we, we going to hang our head on, on, on those things, and we're going to take a tremendous amount of pride in making sure we eliminate that explosive, take that football back, and make sure our, our team in the kicking game give us an edge.
2: So a lot of our discussion, and Akeem Davis is with us, cornerbacks coach, with UNLV as uh, the season opens up on September 2nd. You can grab your tickets at UNLVTickets.com. I want to remind everyone, if you get your season tickets before August 1st, then you also get a uh, collector's item uh, Yeti Cup with a UNLV logo on it. UNLV-branded Yeti Cup, so take advantage of that at UNLVTickets.com. Coach, I've been harping on the fact that uh, the numbers in the defensive backfield are incredible. There's like 23 guys on the roster right now. It's crazy, but you know what? I keep forgetting and not completely forgetting we haven't concentrated on what you mentioned with special teams that these guys are so uh, integral to what you guys want to do on special teams and odom has talked about the fact that hey there's three units here um is that a is, is that really a big part of why the numbers are so big upwards of 23 guys
3: absolutely i mean a lot of people forget about the third what that third of the or uh, 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 the football program which is the special teams piece man and um we lean on our guys heavily, especially the defensive backfield, to go out and not only just play and have a role, but have an edge and give our team a competitive advantage when it comes down to the kicking game. I mean, I think the kicking game um, uh, defines who you are as a football, as a football team. I think... The kicking game is the lifeblood of your your who you are as a program because it ultimately takes unselfish football players to go out and execute a role that your name is not going to get in paper. You're not you're, you're possibly, probably not going to score a touchdown, but it gives you you know hidden yardage and it gives you you know advantages you know as far as you know yardage that, that you gain for the offense or maybe even the defense if you if you're on kickoff or, or punt. And so that's why those numbers have to be have to be, you know, on par and 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 they have to have great quality. You just can't bring guys in and sign guys like we go through that rock coach Odom does a phenomenal job of going through that roster, man, um yeah, and making sure that each and every one of those guys on that unit can he help us on fourth down. And if he can't help us on fourth down, then we're looking for the guys that can, and if he can help us on fourth down, then he loves the game of football. He's unselfish, and there's going to be a role for him pretty soon. Hopefully, sooner than later, on defense or offense, you know. And so, you know, we take a tremendous amount of pride in, in, in the kicking game, and um, we hope that that unit gives us a, a, a edge at some point this season. We know it will.
2: You know, it's interesting. I saw one um, all season or all um, all conference preseason list with. Ricky Johnson and Cam Oliver on there as cornerbacks. Um, how intense is it going to be for guys like that with, all, with the infusion of all these new bodies? Like, How competitive is it going to be to get playing time at cover corner?
3: Well, competition is the central theme of our program. And when, when you have great competition at that position... You know, it forces everybody to be consistent and dial in each and every single day um, because I know in our room, each and their, all of those guys know that I got to come and I got to come play and, and bring my A game each and every single day because I tell them it's like the NFL. Like every two is in the NFL, somebody get cut, you know, and if you ain't bringing it every single day, then don't be that guy. Co- Coach Davis was once that guy. You know what I'm saying? And I can give it to them because I was signed by seven teams and cut by seven teams. And so, um, hopefully, you know, we, we work together though. It's a brotherhood. You know, we have a relational, we're like, it's, it's, it's not a transactional relationship with our guys. It's a relationship based, um, you know, um, group that we dealing with. And, um, you know, they come to work each and every single day and that depth, man, we got some quality depth. And I tell him I said when we all doing our job, it's gonna be enough to go around for everybody. When we all playing at a championship level, it's gonna be enough to go around for everybody. Because each and every one of us are going to have a role, whether that be in the kicking game, whether that be on defense, you know, whatever phase that is, whatever your role is, you will have an important role. So embrace that role, take advantage of it, and make sure you play that role with a with, with a with a hard, sharp edge. And that give us a foot, that give our football team an edge as well.
1: You know, you seem like a pretty chill dude. How do you gel with Magazoo, who's coaching safeties? Because he seems pretty intense and he's screaming a lot.
3: Uh, how does that vibe work? Because you seem pretty chill. Man, Coach Magazoo was awesome. Um, <laughs> we kind of like yin and yang. I mean, I'm the defensive – I'm the corner best coach on paper. But, you know, Coach Mags, he coached those corners up as well. And, and, and vice versa. You know, I see a safety not running to the football. Guess what? I'm going to go and get in this behind, and then we're going to make it right. Because that's that's who we are. You know, Coach Coach knows a lot of football, and, and Coach Magizu, I learned a, a whole lot from him each and every single day we're here in the office. You know, he's very detail-oriented, very thorough in what he does. And um, it, it, it brings it brings that component of you know us being that that unit because like you alluded earlier, I'm kind of sometimes I can be chill, you know. Sometimes I can be the rah rah guy, you know. Sometimes I can be the guy, you know, the good cop. Sometimes I can play the bad cop. But you know, I think we complement each other extremely well. And um, I think our players, man, our players, they feed off of our relationship with each other because they see our relationship and they know that it's genuine. And they know that we're going to love each other and we're going to love them and we want the absolute best for each and every person in that room and in, in the building for that matter. Coach,
0: I got to ask you, earlier you were talking about football daddies and I've got to ask, I'm putting words in your mouth here, Raheem Morris, when, you, when he was your DB's coach, what's a lesson that he gave you or maybe changed the way you looked at the game of football?
3: Family. Family, family, family. Like, family like. Man, I got a great story about Raheem Morris if, we got, if I got time to tell it. Um He is a guy that when I had my daughter on August, on July the 31st, you know, during the middle of the count, we was joint practicing with the New England Patriots. And right after that game uh, on, on, on Friday, he told me, he said, hey, D, I don't want you to come watch family. I want you to go home and I want you to see your family. And I said, why, coach? I mean, I don't, want to get, I don't want to lose my job. He said, you seeing your family is going to make you a better football player, more, more greater than me sitting up here telling you what you did wrong on game day. So go see your family. And that moment right there allowed me to know that even in the National Football League at the highest level, you can still have a relationship with your players that transcends the game of football. And Raheem taught me that, and we stay in contact with each other to this day. And you know, I matter of fact got off the phone with him this afternoon, talking where own defense. And I um, mean, they're in the middle of camp and they doing their thing, but he had time to to do that, you know. And so, um just family man, and, and making sure that your players know that you got their back one hundred percent that's going to allow your players to reach their, their, to, to reach their maximum position and allow them to be the absolute best versions of themselves. And when, I, when my players are good, I'm a really good coach. But guess what? When my players are bad, then I'm probably a bad coach. And so I want to make sure that my players are hitting on all cylinders, whether it mentally, physically, spiritually, athletically, socially, academically. And I want to make sure I, I, they are better men because of Coach Davis, and you know, obviously better football players as well. But they, if they're a good football player, then that's merely an, an extra point, no pun intended.
2: Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. We'll see you in like seven, eight days when uh, the media is allowed out of camp, and it's right around the corner. Thank you.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. There he is,
2: Akeem Davis, who is not that far away from the NFL. Mentioned played a little more in the CFL. My guess is that uh, looking at him, he can still probably run the 40 pretty close to what he used to run in the NFL, so uh, that's pretty cool having a coach who you can relate to as a college kid who was in the NFL, is in about the same shape you are, and on the energy, he's running all over the field. In spring, he's running all over the field. Those two guys are two of the most vocal, rah-rah, but also you know really tough. They're teaching technique all the time. Uh, they did a really good job setting up this defensive backfield tandem, coaching-wise, with Magazoo and Akeem Davis and... Uh, Really good job there and a really good story. He's one of those guys, I think, during games when you and I are working sidelines that we're going to be around his unit a lot and, and learn a lot and be able to impart some of that knowledge and talk about what they're talking about on the broadcast because he's a freaking super high-energy guy. All right, here we go. Xavier, host of Suit Up News. One of our legal insiders and attorney out of Chicago is up with John von in Cofield. Xavier! Are you there? No, no, we're getting the side. There he is. There he is. What's up, buddy? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How you doing? Um, you know, I when people ask that, I don't think they really want to know how you're doing. But I'm gonna give you an honest answer. I was really bummed in the middle of the morning today, reading all the stuff and finding out that Sinead O'Connor had passed away. That is if you know about her history and her history of protest. And, you know, desiring to be a change maker, that's an awful loss. And she was such a young woman at, you know, 56 years old. It's terrible.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it was determined that there was no, nothing that was serious there. She passed away. don't know the exact cause of her of passing, but um, she was a big figure in the 80s, man. Um, you know, one of the most iconic moments ever on SNL. Iconic moment in TV history, ripping yep. up a picture of Pope John II. Uh, and, uh, and that was just seen as her taking a stance against um, the, the issues in the church involving children and molestation. And, and it basically, even after seven, selling 7 million records, it torpedoed her career. And she was willing to put that all to the line to make a statement for change. And really no real actionable reform even was made for another 10 years. So when you are someone like that, you have to have the foresight and the courage to be able to sacrifice herself for the greater good. So yep. Shane O'Connor, um, rest in peace. And, and pe- A lot of people had a lot of, she had a lot of courage. But it's one thing to say this now. Mm-hmm. People weren't saying it at the time, and I think that's what Morrissey was getting about in his post, uh, talking about how people are praising her now, like they did Martin Luther King, like Malcolm X of the world, all the different ref- people who challenged society to be better, and they were attacked when they were alive. But when they were dead, oh, these person were so great. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's an important message. From Morrissey. I'll say as a uh, sort of Catholic now, because of all that's happened, uh, she's a hero of mine. I mean, what she did affected massive change. I don't think it's there's been enough change, but that was really brave to do that back then. And also, you know, as a media person, I admire musicians and then athletes who take stands and uh, absolutely loathe radio executives who that like you, you give an example of Sinead O'Connor, like the Dixie Chicks. Um, that's really canceling someone like ending their career because think about what she was doing. She was standing up against an institution like the Catholic church, spending money to freaking move their people around where they violated other people in different markets for someone to stand up and risk their career. As Morrissey said, we all should have been freaking backing her instead of being afraid to say anything
0: back then. Yeah, I mean, we just, just released a video uh, just this week. Colin Kaepernick, I'm throwing the ball around. He still wants to play football. He's never going to play football in the National Football League, football League again. Nope. But he's still showing he could play. But he took a stand and put his career on the line. And after he's gone, people are going to praise Colin Kaepernick like he was a, a major civil rights hero. Um, you can bank on that. Um, and people who have that courage to, 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 to put their career and their lives on the line, more power to them, man. And wish more people were like that.
2: Now, let's see if you want to come at me on this one, because I am consistent. So while mm-hmm. the treatment of Sinead O'Connor by the music industry bothered me, the treatment of the Dixie Chicks bothered me. You know what? With Jason Aldean, the market should decide. I don't think we need radio stations, CMT deciding for us. I don't agree with what... Uh, his video was showing. I think his song was kind of harmless in the end, and it sucks. And he's a he's a grifter, and he's cer- he's certainly nothing like he's claiming to be. Um, I take I actually I'd be more offended with the song that it's anti Las Vegas because um, he actually was anti Las Vegas by deciding to go on SNL uh, after one October instead of coming to the UFC event and singing the national anthem, and then that was when Dana White banned him. But long story short, I also back a guy like Jason Aldean. The song I think the song is stupid, and he's grifting with the video, mm-hmm. but this. This not letting people decide is just weak sauce.
0: I, I definitely cannot agree with you on that, Steve, and I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I can't. And the reason why I say that is because, is because his song promotes anti-lynching messages. This it happened in a small town. This is the same week, um, also that Joe Biden said he's going to dedicate a, a national monument to Emmett Till, who was lynched. Uh, and that was that was the lynching language, and then the history of lynching, lynching in this country still no anti-lynching legislation in the country after 100 years. Um, I think that it's important that we push back in our society over, over people who have language um, that speaks to racial violence. Um, and, and so that's, that's the marketplace, right? You, don't, you can't say that crap and, and expect to be able to sell anything.
1: Xavier, why do people connect with guys like Alden? Because I've always found it surprising. I find it insulting if a guy is clearly trying to pander to something I like but also doesn't live the lifestyle that he says he does. Like, the guy's worth $80 million, moves from mansion to mansion. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why does it connect so much with people? How do they not see that this guy is just kind of pandering to a message they want to hear and is not really living the life that they think he's saying he is?
0: They're idiots. It's that simple. Uh, I think that there's a group of people who want to be echoed all their racist, bigoted views, and they don't care what the person really does behind the scenes. They don't care about how Donald Trump is, how he lives. They don't care that Kid Rock grew up in freaking Michigan with, with money and, and, and sells like he's from the South with Confederate flags hanging out of a truck. They, they, they just care about the message that gives, it gives to them and the, the high that they get off of having their bigotry amplified and not having to do the hard work to reform themselves to be a better person. And ultimately, how we change the world is be better people ourselves. People are just not put, willing to put the, put the weight up to do the work.
2: Uh, switching lanes here, we've got another story kind of similar to Northwestern. P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota football coach, uh, Mr. Uh, sweater their Captain Sweater, who I find incredibly annoying, and rah-rah guy, and also speaks out of both sides of his mouth. You know, he's uh, he's very anti-transfer portal, but believe me, if he needs a player, he's going to pull a player out of the transfer portal. Um, <laughs> So there's some former players at Minnesota on the heels of the Northwestern uh, former players who were saying uh, Fleck run, uh, runs a program, it's kind of like a cult. But I thought the thing that really caught my attention was um, medical staffers maybe going above and beyond the wrong way on prescribing stuff. Did When you read this story, do you see possible lawsuits here? I mean, there's a line to be crossed by trainers maybe at the behest of the coach.
0: The first thing I saw, Capital T tore it off. Um, that's been associated with uh, uh, giving guys in, in, in a pro pro level. And you had um, there are former player, players, retired players in the NFL that sued uh, over uh, uh, a and it's prescribing that and giving it to them to, to stay in games. And so um, that's that capital T man. It, it's it's a, it's a dirty word in, in sports culture. And getting people to to play when they shouldn't be playing, um, that that's that's the that's the thing that stood out to me. I don't know if that, that stood out to you, Steve, but that's a biggie. Oh, yeah. Um. How how Toradol has been used in sport. Um. It's 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 a it's a dirty little it's a dirty that's pretty much a dirty open secret in sports.
2: Very uncomfortable story because um, we don't exactly know what the condition is. Although I know LeBron spoke on Bronny and said he's he's doing better. But really scary incident with Bronny James. With cardiac arrest, and uh, as has happened so many times with young people on health issues, uh, Bronny James' cardiac arrest has now been weaponized.
0: Yes, yeah, despicable. Um, immediately, people start talking about uh, that the vaccine caused uh, Bronny James to to experience cardiac arrest. One of the first things is this is this is this, this kid has a future in front of him, and he he's recovering. Why are you putting this out, in misinformation, and and you're taking advantage of this man's illness? I think it's despicable, it's low. Um, And then someone like Elon Musk, who has a giant platform like Twitter, that's consistently spread or amplified misinformation to bring that in about LeBron. I I would think LeBron James should leave Twitter today, or X, whatever one wants to call it. Uh, Because this is is someone who is one of the most recognizable people in the world. And you being one of the most recognized people in the world, then claim something that's ex- that you cannot prove and sending this uh, misinformation on your platform. even after re- And then after removing uh, safeguards to ensure if misinformation like that is not spread on your platform, uh, it's, it's of low, care, low character um, and it is amplifying the worst parts of American society.
2: Watch it. Watch it. Everyone slow down. Enough of okay. the honking of the horns. Xavier Pope is on the horns with us. <laughs>
1: got to be careful. You see that lady out there? I, uh, I can't remember where. She was naked and taking shots out there with a gun in the middle of a freeway the other day. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wait, be what? Oh, you didn't see this video? Oh, it's like, yeah, Stark naked woman walking down the middle of a freeway and had a gun and was like taking shots at cars driving down the freeway. Right. Luckily nobody was hurt.
2: Xavier will be right on X to be. Uh, it's a- pronounced X- Z, Z by the way. Z- Let's, yeah. Well, he'll be zeding in a little bit. Yeah. You don't think they uh, they changed the the uh, the image to? I know it's not an X, but you don't think they changed it to X to get you back with suit up news?
0: No, <laughs> hey, they might have been. I mean, you know, we were getting, we were our videos were getting more views. than... In paramount plus cbs sports uh cbs news this morning uh many espn videos and so we were one of the most popular um videos on their platform so i mean who knows they they may have been like okay let's let's flip this around and box up you know,
2: so one of our favorite topics on this show has been going back and forth about uh young women uh college athletes doing mm-hmm. nil and uh you know doing different things to to get the big paycheck with NIL. And last week you told me to cram it mind my own business and I shouldn't be policing what young women do. This is interesting, though. Um, Olivia Dunn, who is as big as any female athlete in college sports from an NIL standpoint, she's an LSU gymnast. Livy uh, is what she goes by up on all these social media uh, handles. She said she actually doesn't go to class because basically doesn't feel safe out in public. I mean, again, I'll ask. Uh, the money's great. This is cool. She's pushing a brand, but she can't actually – Go to her college classes Isn't that a little bit weird.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's weird. I mean, she's a celebrity. I mean, she's in, and she's at school. Um, there are many other celebrities that have gone to school. They've had to have security, different protocols. She just happens to be it, a celebrity comes while she's on campus. I don't really see that any, any different than any anyone else hmm. that is a celebrity that winds up going to school first. The second thing is, um, I, I think she, she's now bigger than her her role at the school. And so um, that's going to play into the decision uh, that, that she makes. And not want to have creeps come up to her and want to you know, have her sign autographs, take selfies with her, do pictures with her. She, she, she's absolutely right to make sure that she protects herself and her yeah. brand.
2: I wonder if Baby Gronk's dad was the final straw because that guy was all creepy and uh, had set up some encounter with her and this little Baby Gronk kid, and that turned into a – not that experience, but that turned into a whole weird thing with that guy was, was har- harassing. Was Rip King? Uh, I don't know who it is. He, he was he harassing messed her up. He was harassing Gronk, and, and Gronk even said enough, dude. You've messaged me like 88 times. So on the topic of female sports, this is interesting this week. Um, I, I always feel like it's a weird position. I'm very pro-female, very pro-female sports, very pro-female rights. But I feel like if I tweet out or talk about on the air uh, female sports the way I talk about men's sports, it may be misconstrued. What am I supposed to do when I cover, say, the heavily favored U.S. women's soccer team if I want to say, that was crap last night against the Netherlands. Netherlands was plus I, 458, dog, and they got a draw. Um, if, I, if I go after the women's team, is that going to be misconstrued? Or is it actually worse if I don't cover them the same way?
0: I, I, I just look at it like this, Steve. If you're covering the sport and you're criticizing the athletes for their performances on the field versus what the expectation of their performance, that's analysis. If you are talking about women's sports in general and using that as an example of, as to why women's sports should be covered as much, oh, these women, they suck. Look at that. They, they just lost in the Netherlands. No one should be watching those women's, women's soccer. That's different. You know? So if you're making a commentary on women's sports based on that performance, as an example of something that's being potentially overhyped, that's one thing. Um, if you're talking about the team itself potentially being overhyped and they don't perform well, that's a completely different uh, situation. So you have to—that's how you slice it, Steve. Look at—are you, are you breaking down the sport, what's okay. happening on the field versus commentary on women's sports in general?
2: So the Warriors set a win record. They don't get the title that year. If I cover the Aces, who say finish thirty-six and four and are massive favorites to win the title at the end of the year, and I cover it the same way as that GSW team, we're kosher. We're cool.
0: Absolutely cool. I mean, you're talking about what's happening on the field. And the expect—like I just said—expectations on on the court, on the field. And then if they did, they didn't deliver on it. They choked. I mean, you could say that. I mean, any that's that that's that's straight up analysis. And the, the fact that we even have to have that conversation on is is unfortunate. Yeah. But I think it's important to even have that as a backdrop as to the difference between sports analysis and and, and basically uh, being hating women. Essentially,
2: let's close on this one. Um, I've I've gotten a chance to do a lot of cool interviews over the years doing sports radio, and a lot of them are kind of non sports <laughs> subjects uh you know we had john taffer in a few weeks ago i love speaking to him we actually had president obama uh before he was elected back uh, i think we were at the south point uh before that first election win um i really enjoyed talking to ice cube about i think it was like four years ago whenever it was conor mcgregor mayweather fight but i'm a little confused why ice cube has been hanging recently with tucker carlson it's weird
0: Uh, it's not weird i mean it, ice cube has connections to steve bannon um and also was part of a, a lawsuit that was involving a potential bribery trying to get next to steve bannon um using ice cube as a straw man and mm-hmm. so his ties to the right in racist are it's not a new thing um tucker Carlson actively promotes uh, the racist replacement theory that was a, the subject of the buffalo shooting um and actively promoted this on his show and so for Ice Cube to be a black man who, who was a anti-establishment. He was coming up in NWA. He also made the song, I tweeted about this, that went viral, true to the game about not selling out. And then here you are, you turn out to be the exact person that you were trying to criticize in your song. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, he dropped the ball, and uh, some major trash panda work uh, with uh, with Tucker Carlson.
2: Yeah, i have also been disappointed with some of the uh, anti-Semitic messages over the last couple of years since that interview. With Ice Cube, yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's been pretty awful stuff, too.
0: Yeah, and I mean, also the, the anti-vax stuff that he, he put out there, he also said on the with Tucker and that he knew people who took the vaccine and they were, they, were, they, were, they were hurt, and he was not really showing any evidence to back that up. You can't do that. You have a big platform. You have to be mindful of what you say. Um, and that's not something that Ice Cube seems to be doing right now. Um, it's, it is it's a massive set of ignorance, and he's playing to the wrong crowd. Driving around the hood with Turco Carson, who hates black people. Come on, man, what are you doing?
2: Xavier Pope, we appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Stay away of of those cars, everyone. Calm down on the roads, please. We'll see you, buddy. Slow Love down, y'all. <laughs> Love y'all. There he is.